I guess they say that a journey of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Welcome back to Beyond the Portfolio. I'm your host, Jim Edward. Jeff Wheeler, president of the Wealth Collaborative in Westlake Village, California, is one advisor who didn't take a traditional route into financial advising. He started by studying social ecology in undergrad before graduating law school and then getting an MBA in tax and joining a large regional firm in Southern California. And it was through those few years that I was at that firm um, that I began to really develop an affinity and love for estate planning. But Jeff, a musician at heart, thought he might feel more at home in an entertainment practice rather than a buttoned up firm in downtown Los Angeles. I found a great firm in Beverly Hills. Most of my clients were in the entertainment business, in front of the camera, behind the camera, production. After continuing his career in entertainment law, eventually one of Jeff's entertainment partners alerted him to a Canadian firm that was looking to expand its business into the United States and needed an estate planner to join the team. And I was already, at the time, thinking about developing a financial planning practice at the firm, but um, my partners were totally against it because they saw more risk there than they wanted to take on. So I thought, well, maybe I need to just move out of the law firm in order to be able to do the kind of estate and financial planning that I want to do. Didn't want to manage portfolios, just want to do planning. And I thought this was a golden opportunity. Jeff went into his new role thinking he was just going to be the in-house lawyer. For the first few years there, I just performed the same kind of duties I did when I was at the law firm. But we were working in a collaborative way. There were accountants and portfolio managers and financial planners along with me in there. And we were all together bringing our various talents to bear on each client and the specific issues they had. And I love that collaborative process. Then something else started to happen. The more Jeff learned about how financial advisors worked with their wealthy clients, something became clear. There's a misconception that with that additional wealth, you would increase your happiness. What I discovered early in my practice, because I wasn't raised around money, as I met clients who had a significant amount, began to see you know, what their lives were like, I began to realize that we needed to do more work if we were going to have money provide the kind of happiness that I think people think it will bring. This was the spark that caused Jeff to transition fully into a financial planning career, eventually buying out this arm of the Canadian firm and turning it into the Wealth Collaborative in 2007. And what his story shows is there's no right or wrong way to end up as a financial advisor. It's important for firms today to be smart recruiters of talent, including turning to non-traditional avenues to find people who might make great advisors. Later in the episode, we'll talk with Kate Healy from TD Ameritrade about how advisors can work to make sure they are expanding their networks to find all types of new talent. But first, I sat down with Jeff to talk more about his path to financial advising and how that's influenced his own hiring decisions. Well, Jeff, it's great to have you on the show today. Thanks for being with us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great to be here. Let's start off by learning more about this journey you took to becoming a financial advisor. What was the inspiration or motivation that caused you to end up in financial planning? Well, you know, David Lee Roth, lead singer for Van Halen for many years, used to say that money doesn't buy you happiness, but it'll buy you a boat to pull up right alongside it. <laughs> I began to read more and more about this connection between happiness and money and the relationship we have with money. What makes us happy isn't something that's static, it's dynamic, it, it's constantly moving in our lives. So maybe we never really fully get to that sense of bliss that we were looking for, but we'll get pretty close, just like David Lee Roth 
suggested. <laughs> I'm really glad we have David Lee Roth in here. Yeah. Uh. Everybody needs more David Lee Roth in their life. I think it's good that you bring up that a goal of happiness starts with your values. And this realization led you to financial planning instead of estate planning. What was that realization like for you? How did it feel to figure this out? So almost 20 years ago, the notion of financial life planning was a very revolutionary one. And uh, not everybody understood it, nor did people feel comfortable around it. They didn't think clients would feel comfortable around it. But what I discovered was that these conversations were pretty easy to have if they're approached the right way. So if we're going to understand ourselves and our money, we need to sort of probe this and, and who's going to do it for it. So that was sort of the aha for me is that we need to be serving in this role of, of looking at people's emotions around money and that sort of thing, because no one else is going to be doing it. And to the surprise of the people that I was working with, these conversations came you know, very easily once they were approached correctly. I'm guessing your background in law probably helped you make the transition to financial planning, especially if you're having these serious types of conversations. Being a lawyer was a benefit, I think, for the most part, when I made the transition. As a lawyer, especially as an estate planning lawyer, I dealt with some very, very complicated words that no one ever saw outside of the estate planner's office. So if we were going to be effective and provide an estate plan that was consistent with the client's values and desires, I had to learn how to take some of these very difficult concepts in estate planning and, and make them understandable. Uh, and the same is true with financial planning. I think the, the thing about law, I mean, everybody who, who has been to law school realizes just how law school twists your mind the first year all of a sudden your conversations become inquiries <laughs> like <laughs> you can't tell a story without you know the lawyer going and where were you on the night of July 11th then you know and uh, we just become much more facts based sort of evidence based and while that may be creating problems with relationships with people you knew before you went to law school <laughs> it's a great talent to have i think when you're doing uh, financial planning because you're gathering data all the time. And the more data you have, the better a job I think you can do. So my training as a lawyer in gathering evidence and pulling it together has been really helpful. And it's informed our our portfolio management too, because we're evidence-based there as well. The problem with law, and this is where it can be, I think, difficult for advisors, is that it's mainly too left brain. And lawyers, by and large, are not great listeners. Uh, often they'll interrupt because they think they know what the issue is without you know, getting a full sort of recount for the client. And they tend to direct clients as opposed to help clients determine for themselves where they want to go. So you know, I had to improve my listening skills uh, following law school. The other thing which is, I found really interesting and would never have anticipated it was that when you're a lawyer, especially like I was for two decades, people get to know you as the lawyer guy, right? And all of a sudden, you're now managing portfolios and doing financial planning. A lot of people aren't comfortable with their lawyer doing that for them. I think you know, coming from a law background, I provided something different 
to this collaborative, we had the family office. But in those meetings, it's like, if I were to say something about you know, portfolio management, they'd look at me like, well, what are you talking about? You're a lawyer. It's like, what, what do lawyers know about money? So it took me a while <laughs> to convince people that I knew before in my law life that I was competent. Yeah, I can imagine. Does your experience of coming in the side door, of having this other career prior to doing financial advising, does that influence your views on where you can find new talent for your firm? Yeah, I think it, for me... It, you know, you can find great people all over, right? You can find them in the wirehouse. You can find them in insurance. You can find them in psychology. I mean, you can find them everywhere. My primary bias is probably making sure that someone doesn't come from an overly aggressive sales environment because those traits I found are pretty difficult to overcome. To take people who were in institutions that were business-centric and move them into a firm that is client-centric is a uh, difficult transition for some. Uh, that said, if, if they're leaving the firm, whatever firm they're at, because of those particular bets, then they could be ideal. But I think you know, my coming into the side door has convinced me that there is a benefit to having someone come in through law or accounting or psychology, provided they're willing to work hard to up, close that information gap on the portfolio and the planning side. So I look at the two people that work for me. We managed about $550 million with just the three of us. And I realized that the common threads that run through all of us is that we're very detail-oriented. We have a lot of pride in what we do. And psychologists might call us anal retentive, but we take care of things like that. And we really worry about getting things done well and timely. What other types of traits would you look for? I'm going to be looking for caring for human beings because when you're doing the life plan like we are, it's not just a cheap sales technique to try to, to make clients sticky. The, the whole point of it is to try to help the client make more of their lives. And we're very mindful of the ripple effect that that can have for their children and grandchildren. So this is really you know sacred work to us. That may be evidenced through some pro bono work that they do. Uh, it may also be in some of the stuff that they study in school, psychology or whatever. But that caring for human beings is, I think, important, at least for our firm. For us, it's, it's really critical. Yeah, definitely. Connecting with clients is what it's all about, right? It's really interesting. What I sense is that there's an awareness that there's more to being a financial advisor than just managing portfolios, that it's really about being with clients and helping clients. I find some of the younger advisors to be more into providing that kind of service. I think, you know, boomers like me tended to find jobs and, you know, pursuits that were about providing some financial security for ourselves, as well as providing a meaningful career. My sense from talking to much younger advisors is that they're trying to lead a purpose-driven life and financial services where they can feel some kind of purpose. My birthday was recently and my daughter sent me a bunch of photos, sort of like, uh, this is your life. Jeff Wheeler was like, <laughs> went back to my early 30s. And I started to think about what I was like then, you know, at 30, at 35, 40, 45, 50, whatever. And what I realized is that um, I went through this kind of transformation in my late 40s, where I'd, I'd done law for 20 years and I'd been pretty successful at it. And I, I wanted, you know, new vistas. And in the process of moving to 
eventually a financial advisory practice, I discovered a great deal about myself. This search for the best financial planning process took me very deep into myself. I gained a greater appreciation for myself and the human condition and more empathy. And uh, most of my life since then has been about understanding us as human beings, how we think, how we live, how we, how we derive purpose, how we find happiness, all of those sort of things. You know, I think it was Frank Zappa who said, you know, we're all bozos on this bus. And I think he was trying to say, you know, none of us is free of hangups. This is the essence of being human and all that stuff. And let's, um, let's forgive ourselves a little bit and just try to do better after giving ourselves a break. This practice we have is really about going as deep into who you are as you possibly can because with that knowledge, you're able to do lots of things. Developing empathic skills. You know, you, it doesn't help to be an empathic listener if you can't give any kind of empathy. And it's astounding how many meetings I sit through where there's very little empathy being given, where you don't give clients the ability to, in the safe place, to verbalize what it is they're fearing or wanting. But developing the ability to be in the room and be okay with whatever it is that comes out and, and understanding that that is the process by which people derive not only their self-being, but the, the meaning of life and not to get too deep on this, but, but really to understand what it is that they really are all about and what they want. That to me is deeply gratifying for me. And it's also the place where we being with clients are able to do the best work for them. Nice. That's really great. And now we have Zappa in here as well. Yeah. Yeah. What advice would you give to other people who might take a side route into financial planning? I think you have to be clear on the reasons why you want to enter the profession and what kind of experience you're looking for. You know, what do you want to do? Who, you know, why do you want to do it? Who do you want to do it with? You know, what would a day in the business look like to you? You know, where would you be? Who would be there? How do you, you feel when you leave the office? When I finished law school, we had no idea what law practice was like. They showed us a hammer and they showed what you do with the hammer, but they never taught us to build a house. We went out into practice and had to learn that part of it. And what they never told you before law school or during law school was that, you know, 80% of what you do is going to be reading and writing. And if you're not okay with that, then it's a problem. There's a disconnect. I think it's true of financial advising. People who come into the profession may have some different notions about what the practice is like. And since there's such a diversity among firms now, especially RIAs, if you're an analyst looking to just run portfolios, you may have a problem with a firm like mine. And if you're a life planning oriented person and you're with just an asset management firm, you're going to have a problem. You've had experience both trying to get your foot in the door as well as being on the hiring end. What advice would you give to those who are looking to hire? I think you have to know what your firm is. Who are we? What do we stand for? What are we trying to achieve? And if you know what your firm is and who you are and what you stand for and what you want to do, hiring people is a lot easier because you understand the various segments of your firm, what you're trying to accomplish and what skills are required. So you can match them to the interviewee a good deal better. And then it's just about making sure you have that, that fit, that personality fit. 
when you're working with clients, you want someone who is comfortable being with people in a very intimate way and who takes the client's success personally, especially now with COVID. You know, there's a great deal of anxiety out there on the part of clients. Are they going to get sick? Are they going to die? Um, is that going to happen to someone they care about? So people are scared and they want to talk. So in hiring people, I'm trying to find those who don't want to just do the left brain stuff, but they want to do the right brain stuff. They want to talk to clients. They want to help them out. That's so important. Jeff, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, it's my pleasure. After the break, I'll be joined by Kate Healy, the Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade Institutional, to give advisors more tips on how they can be intentional about finding the right talent for their firm, even if it means looking outside your usual network. At an RIA firm, your people are the most important assets. And one of the challenges that comes with growth is deciding which people you should add. That's why TD Ameritrade developed a guide to adding the right staff. This resource will help you learn about how to make strategic hires to move you closer to your firm's goals, while being thoughtful about your key growth drivers, competitive compensation, recruitment and onboarding, and roles that matter most at your growth stage. Visit TDAI.com and search Adding the Right Staff to download the guide for insights into your next hiring decision. Joining me now is Kate Healy. Kate is the Managing Director of Generation Next at TD Ameritrade. Kate, thanks so much for being here today. Jim, thanks so much for having me. I'm really excited to be on today's podcast. Can you tell us a little bit about Generation Next and what the goals of the program are? Generation Next is really all about helping advisors understand that it's important to bring in people who aren't here today. So Generation Next is younger people, Gen Y, Gen Z, people of color, people who are career changers, people who are re-entering the workforce after being in the military or taking time off to raise their family. What was the inspiration or the cause behind starting Generation Next? 100,000 advisors are projected to retire over the next decade. So that's 10,000 a year. We've created financial planning programs in colleges and universities, but they're still only graduating a couple of hundred students a year. It's important for us to look at other avenues to bring in that talent. So outside of just financial planning programs, we've got to look at career changers. We have to look at people who are in different majors, whether that's accounting or economics or social work or psychology. And when we talk about the people that are retiring from giving financial advice, that's only the people that are giving financial advice to people who get it today. We also know that there are underserved populations. There are many people who don't know about financial advice, so they're not getting it. So almost two-thirds of the country isn't even working with a financial planner. So you think about the need that is really out there. There is a huge opportunity for us to bring new talent in to really start to help America get smarter about their finances. So clearly recruiting is generally very important for the industry. Why is it crucial for firms to be looking specifically for diverse talent? When you look around... America is changing, right? The world is changing. And the demographic shift in this country is huge. Depending on who you talk to, by 2045, 2050, we're a majority minority country. And that means that a lot of people that you're going to be working with don't look like you or the people that you work with today. So it's really important that advisors prepare for the clients of the future. One of the best ways to do that is to hire associates who are gonna represent what the clients of the future are gonna look like. We know that clients feel more comfortable 
working with people who are more similar to themselves or have more life experience similar to what they have. We also know that diversity and inclusion brings more talent, smarter talent. It gives the industry an opportunity to get smarter about what we do. We've seen the studies that say the more diversity you have in your management teams, the more innovative, the better your company's returns are from this on profits and stock market and things like that. And so it's imperative that advisors really start to look in different places. Where do you recommend that advisors look, especially to get outside of their own networks? There's great programs at a lot of the historically black colleges and universities, the HBCUs or the MSIs, minority serving institutions that run financial planning programs. You can go to those programs and start to meet with and talk to diverse talent because I think advisors also say, I'm all for hiring diverse talent, but there isn't anywhere I live. I don't know how to find any. And so, well, here's some ways to find them, right? Reach out to associations like the Association of African-American Financial Advisors. They're going to have people that you can talk to and, and help build out that pipeline of talent. You know, when you're thinking about your talent, think about all the people that are returning to the workforce after raising a family. They just need to update some skill sets around the technology that you're using here, right? There's no reason that you can't look around and start to hire people returning to the workforce and bring them in to your firm. Maybe it's not an advisor-facing role, but you've got marketing needs, you've got client service needs, you've got operational needs. I think we always focus on the advisor role, and the reality is that advisors have offices and they've got all these different functions. If you've got a professionally managed office, you're going to need professionally managed functions like trading and operations and marketing and risk and all of these different things. So when you're looking around for that talent, that's also an opportunity for you to bring more diversity if you're not finding it in the advisor talent pool. Once that pipeline is expanded and you are hiring this new talent, how do you maintain that inclusivity in going forward and keeping their voice heard, you know, within the firm? You know, it's so important. We think about diversity all the time, right? We want to bring diverse people in and that's great and we need to do that. But the other part to that is the inclusivity part, right? And that's where really the value of diversity comes in. Because being inclusive means that you're getting someone's thoughts, you're getting their ideas, you're getting the difference in how they think as compared to how you think. And that's the true value of diversity, especially if you don't have a lot of diverse talent in your firm. So you've got to be very intentional about how you are interacting with your diverse talent. Sit down with them, listen to their story, let them tell you the story of how they got to where they are, because it's probably very different than how you got to where you are. And so it's important for you to understand that so that you know where they're coming from when they're making their decision points, when they're speaking up in meetings. And also make sure that they are speaking up in meetings. You know, oftentimes it's hard. If you are the only person who is diverse in a firm, you're kind of, you feel a little, um, uh, you know, uncomfortable, right? There's not mm -hmm. a lot of people that look like you, so you might be a little bit quieter. So as a leader in that firm, you want to make sure that you are reaching out to make sure that their voice is heard. I'm sure a lot of advisors want to have a diverse workforce, but they might be going about the hiring process incorrectly, or maybe they just don't know where to start. How can firms start to be more intentional about how they are hiring? You know, when you're hiring people and you're looking to expand your diversity, you've actually got to think about it, right? You've got to think about how you can do things differently so you don't end up bringing in the same people that you've brought before. And one way to do that is actually have a hiring panel. So there's more than one person interviewing the candidate. A hiring panel can really help 
mitigate the effect of unconscious biases because we all have them. One way to make sure that that's not blocking you from hiring diverse talent is to make sure that you're getting viewpoints from a couple of different people in your firm. If you already have diversity in your firm, it's great to include those people in that hiring panel. You want to be careful you don't overburden them by making them interview everybody, but it's absolutely a way to help you get different viewpoints. Another important way to do that is to make sure you have a rubric for how you're interviewing. So you're asking all the candidates the same type of questions. So you're not wandering off and like saying, oh, you know, you and I went to the same college, so I'm sure you're going to be fine here. Well, that's great. But make sure you're asking the questions that are delving into the information that you need to know to create a good hire for your firm. Let's talk about some of the obstacles that people might not consider that could prevent the right talent from being connected to opportunities as advisors. What are, what are some of those obstacles that you are aware of? You know, it's hard when we are looking to find that next gen talent, that more diverse talent. I think a lot of advisors say, you know, I can't find them. They're not in my area, but it's important to really focus on finding them. And you've really got to think about your hiring practices when you're doing this. So a lot of times advisors will start out with bringing someone in as an intern right? Test them over the summer, see how they work out. And if they like each other and there's a fit, they can offer them a job after graduation. But it's imperative that advisors pay their interns. Because if you're offering unpaid internships, you're automatically wiping out the possibility that a lot of first-generation college students can take that internship. They've got to work in the summer to pay for their college because they're not getting the family support that maybe some other candidates might get. So it's important to think about how are you making it easier for a diverse candidate to afford to be able to work at your firm and still come to college. There's also the fact that we know that this country has a, a problem with financial literacy, right? Only about 20 states now require financial literacy, financial education to graduate high school. So there are many people that aren't even exposed to financial education, to financial advice. They don't understand that this career exists. So one of the ways that advisors can also think about helping out their community by bringing financial education to them, but also helping build awareness of this profession and starting to build a pipeline of more diverse talent is to think about offering financial education in their community, whether that's in the high schools, in the local boys and girls clubs. It's gonna expose more people to the profession it's going to help raise the level of financial literacy in that community, which is going to make the community stronger, but it's also going to create a pipeline of talent for people who are interested and say, huh, this was really helpful to me personally, but now I know that there's someone out there that can help me if I have problems, and hey, maybe this is a career that I might want to consider someday. One more thought is, you know, when we think of internships, everyone always thinks about summertime. But there is no reason that you can't have internships all year long. Students are usually home for a couple of weeks during winter break. But also, and we've learned this really well through the pandemic, everyone can work digitally. So there's no reason that you can't hire an intern to work for you virtually, which then also expands the pool of talent. You know, I hear from advisors all the time with the area I live is not diverse. Well, guess what? The country is diverse. So you can find people in different areas of the country. You can reach out to financial planning programs that are in schools that may not be geographically acceptable to where your firm is. But now you can start to reach out to talent that is in schools all around the country and create virtual internships for them. 
we're working on a guidebook right now on helping out how to create virtual internships. But these are great points also because though these some of these things might be out of the norm for firms, they're not overly difficult practices, right? You're not talking about reinventing the wheel here. You're talking about just changing your avenues a little bit, which are not overly difficult practices really to implement. They're really not. You know, they're really not that difficult. TD Ameritrade, your custodians, your broker dealers, so many of them have these resources in place. We don't expect you to recreate the wheel. So there is support out there. So yeah, it's a little bit of an effort for you to really think, but it's not a heavy lift. Let's talk about some of the potential benefits of hiring someone who doesn't necessarily have extensive financial services experience. What qualities do you think are important to look for when hiring these people? There's this misperception about financial advice that it's all about sales, it's all about commissions, and it's all about numbers. And that actually stops people in their tracks, right? They kind of think, oh, maybe this job isn't for me. You know, the reality is 17% of advisors today have finance degrees. And 17% of advisors today actually have a sociology or psychology degree. So studying financial planning is great, but not the only way that you can do this. We did a survey last year because we wanted to really understand why people weren't considering the RA profession. And so we asked 2,000 students, career changers, advisors, and program directors at the financial planning schools to figure out why people didn't come into this profession. So of the the 2,000, half of them, uh, 500 students and 500 career changers. And in both of those, about a third of each said, you know what, I've heard about this career. It seems kind of interesting. I'd like to learn about it. But two-thirds were not interested in it. And once we took them through an exercise where they saw kind of a day in the life and really talked about what an advisor does, they turned around and said, wow, this is a career I'd really be interested in because their concern is always that it's all sales and that it's all numbers. And, you know, we asked advisors then, we said, well, what are the top skills that you're looking for when you bring these career changers or students in? And the number one skill was working with people. Two was self-confidence. Three was clear communication skills and four was an entrepreneurial spirit. I didn't hear numbers. I didn't hear commissions. I didn't hear product sales anywhere in there. So that's the gap that we're really trying to close there. You know, I often tell advisors when they're looking for talent and they can't find it in the financial planning school, I say, look around, look for the helpers. There are so many people and we know, right, the millennials and Gen Z are all about helping society, which is awesome. But they're studying teaching, they're studying psychology, social work, sociology, because they don't know financial planning exists. Once you start to raise that awareness, once they understand there is a way that they can help people, but they can also get paid well to do it, they really start to consider it. Yeah, that's a great point. So would you actually recommend that people who want to become financial advisors might be better off studying one of these other subjects? There's no wrong way to get here. If you study financial planning, you're going to have great technical skills, right? You're going to come in here. You're going to know about creating a financial plan, all the different aspects of the financial plan. You'll probably have experience with the software that we use in the financial planning industry, and that's fantastic. But you're going to learn some of the relationship and communication skills and empathy. What do you do when a client walks into your office crying because their spouse just passed away? That's hard to deal with. So people that are coming into this through other avenues, whether your degree is in sociology or psychology or teaching, you're going to have to learn the technical piece to it, but that's okay. You're bringing the empathy, you're bringing the understanding, you're bringing some of those communication skills to it. Studying financial planning is never going to be a bad thing. Even if you study it and decide you don't want to be a financial advisor, you've just made you and your family that much smarter about money 
So you're going to have a leg up, but it's also a great career that is fulfilling and and can be lucrative for you. I think it's important to study and understand human emotions. It's really important to understand money doesn't mean the same thing to everybody at all. And how people experienced money in their life, how they see investments. I used to talk about it from a gender lens, right? Sometimes you meet with a client and it's a man and he talks about the fact that he wants to beat the S&P by 5% and he wants to end up with this much money by the time he retires because then he's going to buy a house on a mountain so that he can ski every winter. And then you talk to his wife and she says, I really, really want to have enough money to buy a house so that all my grandkids and all my kids can come together with me every Christmas up on a mountain so we can ski. They both want the same things, but they actually both described it to you in a much different way. And so really being able to marry that to say, well, you actually have the same goal. You just talk about it differently and helping the people that you work with understand that. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. What do you think is the most important piece of advice you would give to someone looking to hire new talent for their firm? You've got to look beyond the type of people that you've hired before and look to bring diversity into your firm. And when you think about diversity, it can be of age, it can be of race, it can be of gender, it can be of perspective. So you really want to see what you need in your firm that's going to complement the other skill sets and the other talents that you have in your firm, because you want to make it a firm for the future. How can you create a sustainable firm? Well, you need to start to create diverse talent that's going to help you bring in diverse clients. That's one of the top ways to sustain your firm. Your business is going to be valued a lot higher if it's sustainable. And the way to make it sustainable is obviously to bring in new clients and to grow that firm. But when new clients look and act a lot different than you, the best way for you to be able to grow that firm is to make sure that you've got that diverse talent working at your firm to help you prospecting and bringing that in. Kate, it's been wonderful having this conversation with you today. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Jim, thanks so much for having me and letting me talk about this really important topic. Thanks so much to Jeff Wheeler and Kate Healy for being with us today and sharing their insights on recruiting new talent to join RIA firms. Next week, I'll talk with Marjorie Wentz and Kelly Bradley of Trinity Wealth Management to learn about their growing partnership as mentor and mentee and the benefits of being able to work with and learn from another advisor. Like this episode of Beyond the Portfolio? Leave us a review and rating and hit subscribe so you don't miss out on future episodes. For more resources on all the latest topics and trends for financial advisors, visit TDAI.com and click on Insights.